more than a few words, a marketing podcast for small business owners. My name is Lorraine Ball, and I help small businesses become big businesses. And today I'm talking with Jay Mattingly about web design. Morning, Jay. How are you doing, folks? So, Jay, we were talking the other day about mistakes that companies make. And, and I was thinking about this because um, a friend of mine used to teach a class, and she used to talk to uh, contractors about selling to women. And, and Sharon would, would always say, you know, I'm betting that this morning you didn't wake up with the sole intention of pissing off a woman, but I'm pretty sure by the end of the day you did. I can identify with that. <laughs> yeah, I know you can. As I look at, at a lot of these websites, um, I know that web designers don't get up in the morning going, wow, I'm going to create a website that will really annoy people. But I say it happens a lot more often than you think. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that I notice when I go to websites is, is a lot of people notice a good site design, but a lot more people notice an awful website <laughs> design. And it stands out just a bit more. So You know, it, it's kind of like, uh, and I'm going to go back to my heating and air conditioning for just a minute. I had a contractor once tell me that I'm doing my job when I'm invisible. When you don't notice the air conditioning, you just notice that you're comfortable. Right. I, I think that's the yeah. same thing with, with web design. Yeah, I think so. I don't think that jarring visuals of some web designers are supposed to stand out the, the way that they do. So, so uh, okay, pet peeves. What, for you, uh, and you had a great example. I think the best way for me to talk about some of my pet peeves is to tell a little story. <laughs> when young Jay Mattingly was searching for an internship, he visited the Round Peg website. Now, at this time, the site was a generation older, so it had a little bit different functionality. And I remember visiting the first the site for the first time. And the first time I visited, you walked across the screen and you said hello, you welcomed me to the site, and I felt at home. <laughs> and I remember a couple hours later going back and doing more research on the company, and you walked across the screen and said hello and welcomed me, which was okay. But by the fifth time, I was really over you saying hello to me every time I wanted to learn something new about round Pig. People fall in love with their animations, and, and I did. It was cool. It was clever. Nobody was doing it at the time, and yep. so it was really neat. And there was a way to turn it off, but it wasn't really obvious. Correct. Um, the other problem with that animation, I discovered the issue when I was teaching a class, I'd been invited to guest lecture at a university and all the students had their computers on their desks and I could tell the exact moment that a student opened up our website because there it was all over the room that, hi, welcome to Roundhead. And if people are not expecting something to autoplay from your website and they're in an environment where perhaps the noise or sound would be distracting, it doesn't necessarily endear you to them. They typically try to get off your site as soon as possible. And let me tell you something. I know it may not seem like you're in a high-traffic area where Flash could be inconvenient, but uh, airports, classrooms, people looking online at their jobs, uh, it can creep up quite often. So having a little bit of audio-visual animation every time someone hits your site may have an adverse effect on your visits and click-throughs. Where you'll start to see the issue is um, time on site. Yeah. <laughs> that bounce rate shoots way up when you have that kind of problem. So, so yeah. So, so one of the things that you definitely want to avoid um, and you don't want to be um, uh, 
that auto sound, auto music. Now, this is not to say that you shouldn't have video no, or no. animations on the site. I think that they certainly create um, an interest, a level of interest. I think you have to use them judiciously. I think the idea of permission-based audio video, in a sense, where a lot of times if somebody has audio or video that they want on the site, we'll embed that and allow people to play that multimedia if they are in a place where they can. So if you're allowing people to have that choice, I think it's much more convenient and adds to the site as opposed to taking away from it. And the other thing with Flash, um, a few years ago, and, and it really is only a few years ago, Flash was kind of this cool technology. And a lot of companies spent a lot of money to create these very expensive, very intricate flash animations. And you would have to wait for the animation to be done to see anything on the website. And again, the first time I came, it was kind of cool. But the fifth or sixth time that I was coming back just looking for a specific piece of information and there was no way to get past that flash, I got annoyed and found somebody else who could take care of my needs. At this point, one of my least favorite words in the English language is buffering. Because <laughs> <laughs> if I see that something is buffering, I know I'm going to have to sit there and wait like I have a dial-up connection to see a website. And, and this, this is just coming from a purely human standpoint, mm -hmm. not even thinking about how clients come to us all the time saying, what really matters to me is appearing on the search engine. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and flash and search engines is a whole other a whole other game. Well, the the truth is that right now Flash is invisible in a lot of arenas. Um, uh, Adobe and Apple are at war, and as consumers and web developers, we're caught in the middle. And if you have an iPhone or an iPad and you hit a website that's got a Flash animation. You see a little box mm -hmm. where the animation mm -hmm. should be. And it does not make clients or potential clients that come in here very happy when they want us to pull up their $10,000 Flash website on an iPhone. Mm -hmm. It's pretty inconvenient that we can't see anything on the site. And um, more inconvenient than us, their customers can't <laughs> see it. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of in the business of... And allegedly they are too. <laughs> <laughs> Now, there are ways that you can cycle images and rotate pictures that create a feel that is similar to Flash, and I think that people need to be talking to their web developer about that. Um, my recommendation is that they test out the technology on somebody else's site, look at it on an iPhone, and figure out whether or not it's going to work for them. Yeah, I think that what we've seen with the development of web design has been function over form. As time's gone, business owners especially are getting smarter about recognizing that the only number that matters is the bottom line. Mm -hmm. So in order to affect the bottom line, you have to have a functional site. It doesn't matter most of the time how pretty it is or how many cool spinning wheels you can put on the welcome page. But it's, is it navigable? Can people see it? Do they have to wait for it to load? So, you know, tons of different issues. Well, and then going back to that whole navigation, because this is... I think the thing that people, one of the biggest mistakes people make is they try to force someone down a particular path on the website instead of recognizing that different people think about things in different ways. 
when I built my first website, which predates you, you've never actually seen um, the first Roundhead website, I had this really clever model in my head. Um, Roundhead was going to do five things, and surprisingly, they all rhymed. Oh, <laughs> that's adorable. And, you know, we had generate, collaborate, um, and the problem was that's what my navigation said. And it would create, generate, collaborate. It looked really clever. Unfortunately, nobody knew that we did brainstorm sessions, designed collateral, um, that we did team building work. Yeah, none of that was immediately apparent. Would you say you may have missed a couple markets there on the original web design? I'm thinking we missed a couple of markets <laughs> and lots of potential customers who came and went, I have no idea what you do. Um, our description of what we did was, again, it was very clever, it was very vague, and I had people who thought that Roundpeg, with our solutions that fit, was some sort of tech company. Yeah. Solutions, that word, it's, just, it's techie, huh? Yeah. So, and since this does predate me, between the first iteration of the site and the second iteration of the site, what changes did you make so the site was more navigable and more of the market you were targeting could find what they were looking for? And even before we went to that second iteration, we renamed our task. Got it, got it. So the, so the, uh, the first thing we did is we created a top-line navigation that was the main buckets of information that we, um, uh, we worked in. The second thing that we did was we recognized that people would come to information from different paths, and we made it easier. We added sidebar buttons. We added links inside the, the pages. So if I talked on my graphic design page about how this could be applied in a web design, there was a direct link. Because your website, in a way, it's like walking into a park with a series of mazes. People may want to get to the water fountain, but some of them want to walk straight down the middle because they're in a hurry, and some of them want to wander by the roses and then go see the tulips and then see the, um, uh, the jumping fish, and then they'll get to the water fountain eventually. And you need to think about your website that same way. Right. I think that that's, that's a really interesting perspective to come from. I know that uh, spending most of my time with the, the new generation of websites, the chief area of concern for me is customers have grown have grown accustomed to seeing navigation laid out a certain way. And I, I liken it to a stop sign or a mm -hmm. stop light. If you come to a stop light and green is on top and red is on bottom, that will mess with you a little bit, even if they mean the same thing. But so just like, just like that, when, when customers hit your website, they're accustomed to seeing home you know, across the top left. They want to see information about you close to that. So when we try to build customers' websites, I know that I want to keep a certain uniformity so that I'm not confusing prospective clients for those customers. You know, the thing is that there's certain information people come to find. Um, contact information. Oh, my God. Um, and, and, and I'm wrestling with this right now with our, because right. we're getting ready to do our third um, third iteration of the Roundhead website. We're going to launch in about six weeks. And I'm trying to figure out on this new template where to put our phone number. Right. Because the old one is fit in the upper right-hand corner. This new design, it doesn't look good there. But I want, when people come to our website, 
have to see that phone, and, and we tell clients all the time, you have to see that phone number right when you hit the site because it's one of the paramount reasons your site's getting visitors. Absolutely, and, and so, you know, if you make it hard to find, we have a client right now that we are, um, she's, her business has never been internet driven. She really um, has, has been a referral business for a lot of years. But the market is changing, and she recognizes she has to be more proactively, uh, more active on the Internet. But she's very resistant to contact forms and emailing, and she doesn't want her phone number on the home page. She wants people to, to experience the website. Well, that's very her-focused, not customer-focused. Right. And I think you have to think about your website through the eyes of your customer. Which can be kind of difficult to do when you're the business owner and this is your baby. Mm -hmm. um, to be able to step outside of the business, which you're so passionate about, and say, I'm looking at this from a first-time customer, which is going to be 70% 70, 70 of your traffic is first-time visitors. So I'm looking at this from the perspective of a first-time visitor. What are they wanting to see? What do they want to know? And, you know, that, that, that statistic blew me away um, the first time I heard Jason Ball say that on his website, 70% of the traffic, because I thought that he had such a huge following and he had so many people that come back and read his blog and comment, I thought, no way. And I thought the same thing about our site, that we weren't generating that much new traffic. But yeah, between 70 and 75% of our traffic on any given day is a first-time visitor. And that's who we need to consider consistently remember we speak to. And I'm guilty of this too. Uh, working with um, technical experts and people that are experts in their field, even I get caught up with using the technical jargon thinking, oh, all of these visitors are sure they know what SEO and SEM and, and meta tags and all of this means. But I think that that's a common pitfall when somebody visits your site and they see IHEX access and, and all of these acronyms and, and technical words. What's your reaction when you see that? Well, my reaction, well, honestly, if I knew what HSPF and ASUE and SEO and SEM were, would I really need you? I'd say it's doubtful. Yeah. I'd say it's doubtful. So, um, yeah, watching, watching your copy, making sure that it's, uh, you're explaining those terms over and over again, and um, also watching your copy in terms of who you're talking about. It's really easy to think that because this is your company website, it's about you. It's not. I love making things about me, though. I think that that should, that should be a rule. I, it has to be about me. I, I know, Jay. It's, you know, it's all about you. Yeah, but, it's all about me. Yeah, but when a customer hits our website, now, when they get to know you, it's all going to be about you. We know that. But at that point, they're already a customer, and I'm a little concerned about them before they become a customer. And so at that moment, it needs to be about them. Fair enough. Fair it, enough. <laughs> it needs to be um, how we're going to help you solve your problem. Now, this is kind of hard, like on that home page, because you're writing for two audiences. You're writing for human beings, and you're writing for search engines. And so you have to have copy on your website that talks to both. For the search engine, we have to say, you know, Roundpeg is a 
Indianapolis-based small business marketing firm that does web design, brochure design, social media, and PR. For the human being, we have to also say things like, we help launch your ideas and close sales. Right. So that both audiences know who we are, what we do, but most importantly, how we solve their problems. Now, sometimes we have a client that comes in and wants pages and pages and pages of copy on their home page. <laughs> now, when we have a client that comes in and says that, what is a typical Lorraine Ball reaction and why? Um, content, on the internet, content is king. But from the human interaction perspective, it is content in a little bit. <laughs> got it. So you want to have, if you've got 20 products and you really want to talk about all 20, Great, we'll find a place to do that, but don't put it all on one page. Um, and there are several reasons. One, this is an old newspaper term. If you think about the way newspapers appear in a rack, they're always folded over and you always see the front. Anything above the fold is a, an important story. And editors and writers will fight to get their information above the fold. In the age of the Internet, the fold is the bottom of your screen. If you put information on your home page that people have to scroll to see, they won't see it. It doesn't matter that there's 12 more really cool things there. Odds are most people won't see it. And so what I recommend that you do is a short snippet and then in your sidebar or on the bottom, links for more info, more info, more info. And I had a customer once say to me, well, but nobody ever clicks the more info button. What do you think that tells you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I can tell you from uh, a member of the 30-second attention span generation, <laughs> in the age of instant gratification, if it's below the fold, we're not even going to bother we forgot that there's a scrolling bar on the right side in my generation. So I, I, I think it's not a matter of taking away the content, but repurposing the content. Yeah, it, it's a matter of where it is and where it needs to be. Um, other things I think, you know, some of the other mistakes that I think businesses make um, that make me crazy, one is this, Text on dark, dark background. It's so edgy. Oh, it's really cool. Oh, it's so cool. It's so edgy and it's dark and mysterious. And unreadable. Okay, you have a slight point there that's being unreadable. You know, um, and, and I get it. I'm old. I, I mean, I, I understand this. But the reality is for most business owners, um, a significant number of their customers are over 40. And a funny thing happens to your eyes at 40. Trust me, it will happen to yours too. Um, they change, and your ability to focus changes. And in that moment, print gets smaller. Many of us start wearing reading glasses or bifocal contacts. Um, but we have trouble with contrast. And so small white print on black backgrounds becomes harder and harder to read. It's okay for banners and titles. It's not okay for sentences. Um, and then, you know, there's some, like, cleanup things, I think, that just really make people crazy. Um, if you're going to put links on your website, 
make sure they work. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. simple yet effective. So, you know, um, uh, as you're, you're looking at websites, and you said it earlier, you know, you go to a website and you notice that it's old. How do you feel about a company when you get to a website that looks like it was designed three years ago? Just like not having a website makes me feel like you're not a legitimate business, having an outdated website makes me feel like you don't care about your business. I want to go to a website as a, as a customer, purely as a customer, not someone looking for clients. I want to go to a website that looks like someone puts as much care into their business as they would into me. And if I feel like they're not taking the time to adapt to innovation in web design, are they taking the time to adapt to innovation in their own industry? And these are subconscious thoughts, but people, especially in my generation, we see websites as just as legitimate as a brick-and-mortar store. Mm -hmm. Think about if you walk into a store and... The signage hasn't been updated in three years. You have outstanding July 4th sales in January. What do you? What does that tell you about the business? What's your reaction? I, well, it's, it's like going into a restaurant with a dirty tablecloth. Um, you know, when the menus look like they haven't been reprinted, well, I'm glad the prices haven't gone yeah. up. But what's their kitchen look like? Exactly. And so, um, yeah, I'm in the business of designing websites, and I want everybody to have current and fresh websites. I don't think people have to spend millions of dollars, but I think I think they need a little attention and I think they need a little love. Yeah, and, and we've been talking mostly about how uh, websites are affected from, you know, a visual standpoint and from a site visitor standpoint. But what we haven't really touched on is kind of how search engines view your site and how search engines might discount the information on your site. So really briefly, um, can you talk about a couple of things from your experience with search engines that, that turn them off? Well, I think, you know, some of the basics, and, and it, it sounds silly, but um, uh, no title on pages, no keywords. I mean, search engines are word-driven. They come to the website, they look around, and they look for words that you're telling them are important. If there are no headers, the search engine reads every word is equal. If you put something in a title, you put something in a subhead, all of a sudden the search engine goes, oh, that's important. I should pay attention to that. I should pay attention to the words there. Search engines don't see pictures, so Google's starting to work with character recognition software, which is a little bit creepy, but um, search engines don't really see pictures. So have you named your pictures? Picture one? Picture two? Yeah. Yeah. Or have you named it um, web design one, web design two, um, accounting one, accounting two, something that will connect that picture to the core value of your website. Um, old content, um, one of the things that, uh, and I, I'm seeing less and less of it, but I still see a lot of what's called frame-based websites, where all the information is in little boxes. When a search engine gets to one of those old HTML sites that were built in front page or Dreamweaver, it's confused. It doesn't know where to look first. It doesn't know what's most important. That's why you're seeing a lot more transition to the cascading style sheets. And the, I mean, I love WordPress. It's not the only content management system. 
but sites like that that organize the information in a way that the search engines um, can view the information. You know, this is a topic that we could um, we could probably spend a lot more time on, and maybe we have to come back to. You know, I'm fine with that. But uh, we are almost out of time for today's show. If you've enjoyed today's program and you'd like more information about Roundpeg, you can visit us on our blog at www.roundpeg.biz. We're going to have another program next Wednesday at 10.30 as well. The topic is going to be a closer look at some of our word favorite WordPress plugins. So if you're a WordPress junkie, we'd love to have you listen in. Okay, closing thoughts. Last thing people should think about when they audit their website. I just think it's important to remember that you're really going to be writing for two audiences. And just like emotional cues will turn uh, visitors off to your site, logical cues will turn search engines off to your site. So never forget that you have two audiences to write for. Keep that in mind when you're writing your content. Awesome. This has been another episode of More Than a Few Words. Thanks for listening.